Hi, I'm Stuart and welcome to our podcast, The More You Know. Our podcast will be looking into how the manufacture of semiconductors interacts with our everyday life. Well, thank you for joining us on our second podcast on The More You Know. Um, hopefully we're welcoming back some of our guests from our first podcast. But if you're new to our podcast, a hearty warm welcome from myself and Dr. Chris Jones. Hello, Chris. Hello, Stuart. I think in today's podcast, I think we've agreed we're going to be talking about science-based targets, all relating to environmental emissions and aspects of decarbonisation of the grid and bringing a bit of clarity to all that. Would you agree, Chris? I hope uh, you're going to agree. I think that's a good way forward. So let's start off from the beginning then. Let's talk about science-based targets. So this, I think we need to clarify one thing. The Science-Based Targets Initiative is an organisation, it's a company. Ah, it I didn't realise that. I didn't it is that. funded by uh, the likes of uh, Amazon, UPS, uh, Jeff Bezos. Um, trying to think who else. Um, why, why did they? Why, why? Why do they see it as being so important? Uh, well, they see they those particular organisations see climate change as important. Uh, SPTI. Science Based Targets in Initiative have partnered with, it used to be called the Carbon Declaration Project CDP, World Resource Institute, WRI, uh, World Wildlife Fund, WWF. So, as I say, let's clarify it is a company that uh, will allow, which will facilitate calculations with various models of greenhouse emissions from companies, organizations. Uh, in order to ensure that they comply with science-based targets of one and a half degrees C or pref or uh, substantially less than two. So the big industry companies, this is the one we should sign up to? Is this the one we should all collaborate and work with? Um, there are other organisations doing the same thing. But they, they ultimately got the same goal? They've ultimately got the same goal. So... If we've got science-based targets, which are based on greenhouse gas protocols, I understand that. But is the UN not set, setting something? No, need to be need to be a bit careful. Actually, the mm -hmm. uh, science-based targets are based upon the science that uh, results from the implementation of the greenhouse gas protocol. Greenhouse gas protocol is essentially a uh, an accounting tool. Oh my word, we're going to talk about accountancy now in our podcast. What do you mean it's an accounting tool? So it's how you add up your various how you add up your various emissions. Ah, so we are getting somewhere then. So yes. there is a way of companies to say, I'm going to sign up to do to meet the the must not exceed the one point five degrees um increase in global warming temperatures, and this is a way of you am I right saying um, measuring your emissions against your targets of the 1.5 degrees C. Yes. So there's uh, the uh, SPTI offer calculations to enable a pathway to be identified that is compatible with one, the 1.5 one degrees C pathway and ultimately uh, near elimination of uh, emissions uh, by 2050 to hit net zero. So I am sitting... Now, and I have got an environmental pub expert comes in and I'm now trying to explain to him what you're trying to explain. We've got the terminology, right? Explain to me how you break up these sites, because this must be complex. If, you, if you're, if you let's say, uh, if you make something, 
there'll be someone who'll supply stuff to you to make something, and then the thing you've made goes off somewhere else to help them enable to make something. How that's complex, is it not? How do you how how do you set up a set of measurements to do that? So essentially, you concentrate on two things. One, uh, emissions that are immediately under your control um, and uh, emissions that are outside of your control. So if we start with those under your control, then uh, those are split into two different types. Uh, Direct emissions, those emissions that we emit from our factory. Uh, that would include carbon dioxide from boilers. That would include uh, the burning of fuels in company-owned cars. And then indirect emissions uh, would include the CO2 that would be emitted, say, from a power gas-fired power station that's generating your electricity. So those are essentially direct and indirect emissions under your control. You then start looking outside of your control, uh, so, uh, and upstream, that would be the provision of services and goods. Uh, it may be transportation of those goods to you. Uh, it's waste, waste treated uh, away from your factory. And then if you look away from you, downstream towards your customers, our customers, then same sort of thing. Uh, transportation, transportation distribution of goods, uh, modification of goods, uh, the any aspect of use of goods. So if uh, our equipment uses electricity, then that would need to be included in our downstream scope. Uh, if our uh, equipment uses natural gas and emits carbon dioxide, the same thing. So from our viewpoint, we would look at our factory, we would look upstream of our factory and we'd look downstream of our factory. What do you mean by upstream and downstream? Could Up. you give me an analogy of, is, you know, because if I'm sitting, I'm thinking of a river or something, is it the same kind of idea? Is yes. Upstream would be at the source of the river and downstream would be at the mouth of the river? Uh, no, just upstream would be, uh, if, if I'm standing on a bridge and I look in the direction of flow, uh, upstream is the river coming towards me, downstream is the river going away from me. So it's a transfer of goods and services to me and the transfer of goods and services away from me. So, Chris, you've explained a lot about the aspects of the science-based targets, but in real terms, what does that mean? So we have to be able to measure to determine our carbon footprint. Uh, the greenhouse gas protocol gives us an accountancy method for measuring, quantifying, uh, assessing those emissions. Uh, they put them into boxes called scopes. In order to hit our one and a half degrees C target, uh, we need to understand how much we're emitting. Uh, the greenhouse gas protocol provides a tool for determining our emissions uh, throughout our operations and the supply chain. And this falls into the categories of what is called scope one, scope two, and scope three. Oh, that sounds interesting. I think it's fascinating. And what is scope one? So scope one is the direct emissions from our factory. Those emissions will include uh, carbon dioxide from our boilers. It will include uh, the use of uh, fuel in our cars. So those are direct emissions scope one. What is scope two? 
emissions. So scope two are what are referred to as indirect emissions from our factory. Our factory uses electricity. Our factory could use steam. The uh, carbon dioxide emissions from the generation of electricity, the carbon dioxide emissions from the generation of steam are referred to as scope two. And so what's scope three? So scope three includes waste treatment. It includes business travel, commuting. That's commuting of our employees to our factory. Those are aspects of scope three. There are two completely different aspects of scope three. Those that relate to companies that supply us with goods and those that relate to the use of our goods by our customers, referred to as upstream to our suppliers and downstream to our customers. The upstream aspects will essentially be the provision of goods and services, transport and distribution to us. The downstream aspects of scope three are the same thing for us to our customers. So transport of goods, uh, distribution of goods, but also the use of goods. So in our case, that will include uh, generation of emissions from the use of electricity, generation of emissions uh, as part of the use of natural gas on our customer site. I, I suppose maybe at this point we should maybe, where would you say best place for people to go for further information on the, the science-based targets? Well, you could go to the Science-Based Targets Initiative themselves. Um, uh, they give a, a nice description on their website, what science-based targets are about and how they do their calculations or help us do our calculations to meet the 1.5 degree C uh, near-term, long-term targets. So there's another aspect of there is you could talk about us, our nice little box, or as you now call it, scope one, and you could talk about our nice little box of scope two that we have to deal with. I'm interested in this aspect of here's our box and we are pushing it downstream. There's there's our scope three. So you're saying that scope three becomes what with our end customer? Uh, d depends how it's used, uh, but it will uh, essentially become their scope one and two. So their scope one and twos, they've made their product. They are making their product with our goods. Yeah, so, so they've made our goods and with our suppliers group. Everything now is... Everything they're looking at that we're supplying them is downstream. Everything's coming down towards them. Yes. And so it's now their scope one and two. They make their product. It's all really interesting, I think, at that part. But they're going to have a challenge with their scope three. If, if, if I give you an example of a microchip, where's your microchip going to go? Your microchip could go anywhere in the world. What challenges does that, that have for your scope three emissions when not just the semiconductor manufacturer, but if you make your product and then it goes downstream to on its way to the consumer, how, how does that affect them? The challenge is for all of us. It's not just for our customers. It's for our customers, customers all the way down to end of use. So uh, this all boil, this will all boil back to trying to reduce the uh, amount of emissions. And generally speaking, uh, the emissions that dominate are those from uh, the consumption of energy. So I'm in the pub. Here's the guy going, oh, it's all just too hard. And he's going, it's all really too hard because of this downstream part. He's a bit of a guru on the environment to a little bit. He's a bit like me. What's that aspect, though, in a nutshell, that aspect of how do you get them to change their mind to say, oh, this is just too hard. I don't want to do it. 
So let me give you an example of a supply chain and let's follow this through. Okay, so I've got a mine. I mine some iron and steel. Uh, I take the iron ore. I uh, take the iron ore to a steel smelting plant. The steel smelting plant adds a lot of energy, turns it into sheet steel. I now have a sheet steel product. I take that and I transfer that sheet steel product to a manufacturing site that makes cabinets. The uh, manufacturing site that makes cabinets will convert that steel into a cabinet. It'll consume a lot of electricity in doing so. And then it will take that cabinet and send that cabinet to us. We'll take the cabinet, we'll use that cabinet to assemble our goods. Uh, we'll use a lot of power in doing that. Then we transfer our assembled product to our customer. They use that product to manufacture semiconductor chips. In doing so, they have two types of releases. One is associated with the use of electricity and power, and the other is associated with the uh, use of uh, greenhouse gases in their processes. And then they send the semiconductor chips down to, say, server farms. A server farm will supply us with internet, uh, and the but that will use a huge amount of power. So again, the server farm is now essentially using a lot of electricity. What you'll notice is a lot of the supply chain is about using energy, electricity. Uh, some of the supply chain involves emissions of gases that are used as part of the process. But a lot of this is about the use of energy. And that's why uh, the largest contributor to greenhouse gases is energy. Uh, and what we need to do is we need to decarbonize our energy sources. So what you've just said there, that's going to make it hard for towards it. That's going to make it hard for some businesses to commit to science-based targets because of the amount of power consumed. For example, in cloud-based uh, 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 cloud-based servers that you just mentioned there, it actually makes it difficult for all businesses where the business uses a lot of energy either in terms of its manufacture or of its products in use, then it makes it difficult. So that's why I think my parting shot was we need to decarbonize the energy sector. The energy sector is the biggest, uh, biggest provider, emitter of greenhouse gases that we have. So decarbonization uh, is uh, critical. So when we talk about decarbonization, we're talking about not using fossil fuel-based um, industries to to power to give us our electricity. Uh, uh, that's part of the mix. Uh, essentially, what we're trying to do is we are trying to ensure that the amount of carbon dioxide, greenhouse gases, that are in the atmosphere as a result of generating energy uh, does not grow beyond the budgets that have already been identified to meet the one and a half degree C or less than two degree C targets. Uh, so that can involve uh, uh, renewable renewable sources, solar, hy hydro, wind, uh, geothermal, sources like that. It could involve uh, nuclear. But it, we should also realise that uh, carbon dioxide capture, carbon capture and storage in long-term long storage facilities is also a way forward. And it will provide us a means of uh, moving to a lower 
emission, net emissions by the energy sector quicker, and it will also enable us to mop up the uh, last little bit towards the end. So carbon capture and storage, direct air capture, those sorts of technologies also have to play parts, not just the renewables. Capture and storage, what's that? So uh, carbon capture and storage. Uh, we can take carbon dioxide at the atmosphere. So that's uh, direct air capture. We can take carbon dioxide out of emissions from power stations. Uh, there's technology that already exists, uh, certainly to do the latter, and is being evaluated for the former. Now what we've got is we've got carbon dioxide. Well, what are we going to do with it? Well, we could either use it uh, to make some goods and therefore create a bit of a circular economy in carbon dioxide, or we could uh, compress it and stick it underground into uh, geological formations. And this is actually one of the things that the uh, oil and gas companies are looking to do. And in fact, uh, there's an example in our own country where carbon capture and storage is going to be used by Peter Head. Uh, power station in collaboration with the Norwegian oil and gas companies to stick the resulting carbon dioxide down into geological structures where it gets trapped essentially forever. So it gets taken out of the equation. I think with a lot of the things, you know, that's look, the carbon capture technology is really interesting. And I think, you know, it, we're continuing looking at ways of you know just decarbonizing the grid i think it's really quite exciting there and and i know you just you mentioned earlier on before the podcast today it's something we are looking as a business at as well and i think it's growing and more and more people are getting involved in it but this is big this is this is affects all of us the, the you know you've seen with cop 26 so my question to you is how do you see us doing this? This sound, you know. How do we do this? Is is from an individual? How do we do it? So, as individuals, we could install uh, solar panels, insulation, double glazing, heat pumps. That all costs money, and this is where one of the areas where governments are going to have to start getting involved in helping to facilitate us as individuals to change our houses, our cars to electric vehicles. Uh, the governments can only go so far. Uh, it then becomes the uh, part of the team will be industry supplying the appropriate goods to make low emissions equipment for heating, for travel. So it's, it's, it's a, a large coalition that's going to be needed to hit this one and a half degrees target. Uh, nobody can do it on their own. And uh, not only is that a, a countrywide thing, a national thing, but it has to be a global thing. Everybody playing their role. So what could small businesses do? Uh, the small business is essentially a scale up of what an individual family would do. Uh, so what they would uh, essentially try to achieve is they would use as little power as possible. That would always be the best start. And then the power that they use, uh, they would probably want to make sure that it was from a renewable source or declared renewable by certificate. And then the goods that they buy in, they would want to do the same. So they... If they were buying in, uh, if they were buying in stainless steel cooking equipment, they would want to buy it from a supplier who has had his steel supplied by a steel company that uses hydrogen instead of electricity to generate the heat for making stainless steel. So it's it's the same thing. It's just a different scale. You would want to use an electric vehicle. So this goes back again to partnerships 
between industry that make the goods, supply it to the consumer or the small business or the large business, but also perhaps government initiatives to support the uptake of these these new activities to reduce everyone's carbon footprint and, and carbon uh, emissions. And essentially throughout society, individual, small, medium, large, corporations, governments, countries, global. One of the more interesting aspects about all of this is the power consumption and the emissions from that. What about, I've seen a lot of the times this term avoided emissions. Explain to me that term. I hear it more and more. What's avoided emissions? I, I think it's quite an unfortunate term. And what we should be referring to is reduced emissions. We have discussed that uh, the greenhouse gas protocol enables us to put emissions into boxes, scope one, scope two, scope three. And we've also identified that those scopes will exist throughout the supply chain. So our scope three will be our customers, scope one and scope two, or at least a substantial amount of it will be. So we can provide goods that will reduce their emissions, either by reducing the power that they use or by directly influencing their emissions. So our equipment will be reducing emissions. It's not avoided emissions. And I think it's a much fairer reflection uh, to use the phrase avoided emissions in much the same way as we would use the phrase cost reduction. So governments have a role to play. And um, we've talked about decarbonisation of the grid. This ultimately will help then, bringing it back to industry, this will help industries with their downstream calculations if governments decarbonize the grid? I suppose my question is, if governments decarbonize their grid, more industries could sign up to science-based targets? Yes, fundamentally. And do you think that moving forward, that's the only answer? Uh, it has to be, by some distance, the major answer. The vast majority of greenhouse gases comes from the generation of energy. So it's the energy sector that we concentrate on first, uh, then the transport sector, then uh, emissions from industry. Uh, but substantial numbers of emissions from industry comes from the use of energy. So energy first, energy first, energy first. So the three takeaways, I can do something, industry could do something, and the government could do something but we need to do it in partnership together. Yes. Well, there's a great way to finish our podcast. I think we've really looked in depth at certain aspects of science-based targets, measurements, decarbonisation of the grid. I hope we've added to a little bit more renewable light on the topics of environmental sustainability. Until next time, thank you, Chris. I hope we've added a bit on low carbon light, never mind renewable. Oh, I like that ending. Anyway, until next time, thank you very much. Bye.